I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. All, all the companies at the moment want to be like, yes, we're green, we're sustainable. You know, the government's plan to send people to Rwanda is bonkers. Like, the political climate and the societal climate just isn't ready for that. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode. I hope you're doing well. It is Sunday, 12th of June here. It's kind of cloudy outside, but we're not going to let that stop us and have a good day. Today, I am joined with my friend, Tom Wilson. Say hello to everyone, Tom. Hello. (laughs) Um, Me and Tom actually lived with each other last year at university, Um, but now we have our separate houses, but we're still good friends. And Tom, would you like to tell everyone what you're studying? Sure. Uh, Yeah, I do natural sciences, um, specialising in evolutionary and uh, ecology, biology. Okay. So, for people like me, would you be able to summarise sort of natural sciences, people who might not know what that necessarily is? Sure. Uh, I mean, it's taught very differently at different unis, but um, it essentially means it's for the indecisive scientist, because you can basically just (laughs) pick and choose whatever you want to do. Um... So you tend to start out quite broad in first year. You know, you might go across like three subjects. So I did uh, biology, anthropology and chemistry. Um, And then in second year, I decided at the end of first year, I decided I hated chemistry. (laughs) (laughs) And so I uh, decided to take up a bit of earth sciences instead. So it's very flexible. Mm. uh, But by your third year, you have to sort of like uh, narrow it down a bit and specialised into something. Uh, in particular. Well, that's really good that you recognised early on what you, know, you wanted to do. Yeah, it? yeah. Um, do you know maybe at this stage what you want to specialise in next year? Uh, I mean, I've kind of set my path uh, on, yeah, evolution and ecology, basically, sort of what you might consider the uh, macro science. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah kind of going towards zoology the animals the nature the like yeah uh what life was like before sort of thing 
That sounds really interesting. Um, whenever anyone tells me what they're studying, I always just think maybe I should have done liberal arts. <laughs> I can choose a bit more. Um, so how have you found your second year? Have there been any highlights um, compared to first year as well? Was it different for you this year compared to last year? Yeah, uh, I definitely preferred second year to first year. It's been great. Um, there's definitely been highs and lows. Um, I, in terms of, like, academically, um, I mean, I probably shouldn't say this, but I found it <laughs> quite easy compared to last year. Chemistry is a lot harder. Um, I think they make you do more work as well. Mm-hmm. And... And some of the modules I've taken, I've just sort of thought this is a bit of a piss take <laughs> compared to last year. Yeah. So academically, I haven't found it very challenging. Um, That's really impressive. <laughs> which I don't think it is impressive. I think it's a combination of um, the subjects I'm taking come quite naturally to me. Like mm. I'm interested in the world around me and nature. So basically, yeah. if you look at if you're at all observant when you're outside, yeah. then you'll be good at ecology because it's literally just looking at yeah. plants and birds and stuff. So um, it's there's not much to it. You don't have to sort of learn core hard skills mm-hmm. or hard facts, you know. Um, no, so th- that, I guess, has been quite nice. At times I've been a little bit bored maybe, but that's, I don't know, nice things I have to complain about. Yeah. Um, Socially, way better, obviously, than first year without COVID, just being able to do whatever you like. Loved being in a house rather than in college. Um, And you've got a lovely house here. So Tom lives in Sixford. Yeah, Yeah. Sixford. And it's five minutes from town. Yeah. It's ideal. And, you know, lovely housemates. Yes. That always helps. Yeah, they're good. But I think, you know, it's good that you've maybe found the course a bit easier this year because I did think first time was really overwhelming like my first three weeks I just focused on my timetable and like getting used to actually going to lectures yeah that's true it did take a bit of getting used to like going back to in person yeah but I don't know I feel like we all settled in quite quickly yeah I think so um I'm still friends you know my friends friendships haven't changed dramatically (laughs) like but I like that we're still close with our college yes yeah, no, I don't think friendships. I think you, um, maybe it's become clearer who, you know, we're both going on years abroad. Yeah. It's maybe become clearer who you're going to stay in touch with when you're back from a year abroad. Definitely. Um, I'm sure there will be people that I won't stay in touch with, but that's just normal, <laughs> that's life. Like. Yeah, <laughs> just, we've done that quite a few times now. Did yeah, you ever exactly. move school? I didn't. I was in, well, very early on, like I moved in year two. <laughs> And then from year two, three to six, four, I was at exactly the same school. Wow. I don't think many people have done that. I mean, I I changed primary school and then same secondary school and then same sixth form. But for you to have stayed from year two. Yeah. Well, I was quite (laughs) stubborn. There were many chances where my parents wanted me to go somewhere else. Yeah. And I just said, no. And that's great that you knew what you wanted to do. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. (laughs) I don't know. I think back and maybe it would have been better to have a change. I don't know. But, you know, we look back on these things and we think how it could have been different, but yeah, I'm exactly. sure you're happy with where you are now. Um, so apart from your course, you are also getting involved in, in your charity. Would you like to tell us a bit more about that? What's your charity? Sure. Yeah, so it's called uh, the UK Youth Climate Coalition. Um, we are a socially youth-led organisation. We're all 18 to 29-year-olds. Um, 
there's no one older than that, so you get to 29 and you're booted out. <laughs> <laughs> Quite hard. Yeah, um, and that's sort of the reason we were set up. We were we were set up to basically represent young people in uh, sort of climate lobbying, climate decision making spaces. It was set up back in two thousand and eight. So in, right. back then, that like mm. young people in any sort of decision making just wasn't a thing. There was just um, no voice for them. Like in any respect, you know, even like the youth parliament wasn't a thing. Like right. it just. Yeah, didn't exist. So that's what we were primarily set up as. And now a lot of the sort of definition of youth has changed. You know, we're still 18 to 29, but actually (laughs) most other charities now, funders, governments, whatever, will consider youth to be more like 14 to 25. So, I don't know, things have changed since we first started. But then, I don't know, you can't vote at 14, so... Yeah, no, it's a good point. But also, an 18-year-old isn't in school anymore. I think with the... I mean, particularly in terms of the climate movement, we saw the youth strikers uh, come in with Greta around 2019, and that sort of saw saw ages shift down in terms of who was being politically engaged and who was sort of um, saying to leaders, I want you to do something. It shifted to a younger age group. And I think that's meant that everyone's mindsets has shifted a bit younger. what the definition of youth is. Yeah. So do you think um, young activists like Greta have really made a big impact in terms of getting more young people active in this? Yeah, I think um, what Greta's been great at is increasing sort of the saliency, the awareness of um, climate change, climate justice. Um, I mean, I was doing things back in school, like in started sort of year seven, doing like basic, you know, in the little eco group in school and stuff. And through most of my time at school, everyone obviously knew about climate change. Yeah. But it was on a, the level of CO two causes warming, yeah. and there wasn't any awareness of like what does that mean in terms of how the climate will change, what that means for us and what living will be like and what the world will be like. There's no, just no awareness, like, mm-hmm. and it was just one talked about. And then 2019 hit, it was my, that was my leavers year. Yeah. Um, and we did the strikes in my upper sixth. And suddenly, after those, that, those first strikes, like, so many more young people were engaged, Amazing. which then meant that other people were engaged, you know, are sort of requests to be involved with things as a charity skyrocketed like just because it was suddenly like popular to to talk about it and to you know all the all all the companies at the moment want to be like yes we're green we're sustainable Mm. um and so they want to reach out to young people and it's now popular to like bring young people in and say look at us we're championing championing the youth and what they want so uh greta had a huge part to play in that but I think we're at a point now where it's sort of like we've had three years of her and others in the movement saying the same things. And there's an extent, you know, when you're young, we don't know. I mean, I still don't know all the ins and outs of sort of climate policy and things. So there's a limit to like what you can say. You can basically just say, we want you to take action. Yeah. Um, and they've been saying that for three years, so I, I don't know, I get the feeling that we're getting to a point where everyone's a bit bored of that. Yeah. And we need something else to... A bit more sort of active. 
um, planning for this. So, what was the experiences for you with the strikes? How did your school react? I mean, was it just you? Was there a group of you saying we want to get involved in this? Yeah. Um, so, well, I at school there was this event called the um, I lived in, I grew up in Bath and it was called the Bath Youth Climate Summit and. I ran that, started it in year nine and ran that for quite a few years. So there was like a group of us that organised that, that was like sort of a environmental group. And then Greta started the strikes, Fridays for Future became a thing. And there was also this other organisation called the UK Student Climate Network, which sort of coordinated the UK organisations. So we sort of like jumped onto the back of that as a little group of us and organised a first one in in Bath, like a strike in Bath, and one in Bristol. Um, And the first strike was on an inset day for my school. It was just like a Friday inset day. So they were, for that one, were super supportive. They were like, yeah, like, go, um, you know, shout, do whatever you want. You know, we're we're very supportive. We want you to have the best future, blah, blah, blah. Climate change is important. Um, And then, of course, the next month, It wasn't just an inset day and we were like, we're going on strike again. And the tone changed a bit, but they were still very good. Um, I had a very good relationship with my headmaster (laughs) and the senior management team. Um, And so they were basically like, yeah, you can go. But they were like, the most thing they were funny about was like safeguarding with like year sevens and year eights who were like 11 and 12. Mm -hmm. It's quite a young age. They were kind of like, oh, we're a bit concerned about young children yeah. going what what can you do for them that was all really they were concerned about they were very happy for us to go and so I'm sure they understood that you, you, know, you obviously valued your education I think yeah. that's probably what they were concerned about I think that was one of the most important things is um, that level of sort of communication and mm. I don't know a lot of the, there's a lot of different ways that people might go about being an activist yeah. some people take quite a hard line approach and they think that the institutions, the systems, governments, whatever, schools, companies, whatever, just they're not working and therefore shouldn't be included in any conversation and and they're quite hard line. It's kind of like XR. They're like right. um, the more rebellious um, <laughs> side of activism. Yes. But then there's a whole other side which sort of works within the system mm-hmm. to and include people in, in the conversation. I think a mix of both is... So Good. would you say your charity is this mix of... Um, yeah, I'd say it definitely is. Um, so our primary... Well, the primary reason we were set up was to go... Every year, the UN has an annual climate negotiations yeah. where every country sends a delegation and they basically hash out what their, what their each country is going to do for climate change and they make pledges and they do everything and the famous one is Paris 2015 the Paris Agreement which was like landmark negotiation they all actually set targets before it was literally just a conversation of like this is what's going on <laughs> this is what oh we maybe we should do this uh, and then Paris was when they actually set targets um, so our primary we were primarily primarily set up to represent UK young people at the UN Climate Negotiations COP. So we still do that, but we now have 
um, other working groups as well. So the COP working group's an example of like that working within the institution. Yeah. It's very much you, you know, you go to meetings with delegates and you sort of have a chat with them about what they should be doing and you might pressure them on some points. A lot of it's just like gathering information. That's very much what we, what, yeah, what you'd call like within the system. But then our sort of polar opposite working group is systems change who sort of believes that um, our systems aren't working. You know, the channels of negotiations have been going on since the early 90s and nothing, you know, nothing's no, happened. No. Last year at COP26 was the first time the word fossil fuel had been mentioned wow. in any formal text. I can't believe that. I know, crazy. And it's been, you know, and it's been going on for so long. So they sort of believe that those institutions, those systems just don't work. And therefore, we need to t- totally reinvent those systems. And so that means not really working with those institutions. Yes. And um, so a lot of their work is more sort of highlighting the issues, mm-hmm. creating awareness and trying to show people how other systems could work. Um, so, yeah, we've got the like two polar opposites. Yeah. I just can't believe that these two words like fossil fuel haven't come up before. Yeah. I mean, does that make you really angry? Yeah, I think, I mean, so I was at, I went to COP26, that was my first um, of the climate negotiations that I'd been to. Um, that was in November 2021, last year. And it's just a very depressing experience, like, um, very, like, it's, yeah, very depressing. You're getting all these facts about all the bad things that are going on. Yeah, and you meet, it was the meeting people from, like, um these small island states like the Philippines, Tuvalu, Bali, you know, small Pacific islands Mm. um, that are like really, really feeling the effects of climate change now. You know, many people have been relocated two, three times already. And okay, they're only, at this point, they're relocating within their own country, you know, moving Mm. slightly more inland, but there's only a certain amount of time before... Mm that won't be an option and they'll then have to be, you know, they'll be refugees moving to somewhere else. So you just talk to them and they're so desperate for people to act. And this is, this is the whole issue of climate justice. Like it's not just climate change and our climate's changing. Yeah. But it's the fact that um, climate change will affect people disproportionately and it's affecting the people that have least contributed to it the most. You know, these small island states have the smallest carbon footprint. They just release minimal amounts of CO2. They have very little industries, you know, but they're the ones being most affected. And then you think about countries like the UK, US, who have a huge history. I mean, the UK has the biggest history in fossil fuels. You know, we led the Industrial Revolution. Um, We have by far the largest historical CO2 footprint out of any other country. It's really not... Um, so you go to these negotiations, you've got these small island states who have like no power being like, please help us. Mm. Our country is being destroyed, basically, and will be further destroyed. Um, and then you've got the US and the UK and, you know, other states, China, India, um, that just hold all the power because they're the ones emitting, they're the ones that have all the money. And 
when you think about it in terms of how everything works, you know, our elected officials are elected by us in our country for our benefit, and they work for us, and that's their their mindset is what can we do to make our citizens happier? Yeah. So nobody, why would any politician be like, right, so we're actually going to give a trillion pounds to <laughs> the Philippines because yes. these people really need it. Like, Because we'd say that's not in our country's interest. No. And so, you know, that's one of the arguments of like, well, those negotiations are never going to work because why would the UK and the US ever be want to do anything so drastic to help these other countries? So, yeah, it's just a very, it makes it very clear the power dynamics in the world and how impossible it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow, I can't, I can't believe that. Um, so when these people come and talk to you and you just obviously you want to say yes we're going to help you but that's not in your control i mean do you feel you know that there's something else that we should all be doing i mean how do we get this talk to governmentally change yeah so well in terms of what um we do we sort of use our role as a um sort of like an uh, an uplifting like support we're in quite a good position we've you know we've got nearly 15 years of um reputation of being in the un space and stuff and the uk government we have quite a good relationship with them so they give us accreditations every year and stuff we get quite a lot so it means that we can then pass them on to other people so a lot of what we do is giving it to global south uh, delegates from brazil and philippines and places so that they can represent themselves you know it's far better that they talk for themselves than we talk for them so um what we can do for them is give them that space and support them in that and try and make sure that they're able to talk to decision makers as best they can um in terms of like what in what we could do like (laughs) the everyday person the everyday person um is a very good question i don't um it's not that well I don't yeah I don't like individual actions Mm -hmm. as being encouraged as something that's gonna help climate change things like when people say oh we all need to drive less or recycle more or eat less meat or whatever like yeah it's just absolute crap like um the term carbon footprint was invented by Shell the oil and gas company to shift the blame they were fed up of everyone pointing at them saying, you're an oil and gas company, you're the polluting, which yeah. they are. And so their PR and marketing teams came up with this term, carbon footprint, to shift it onto the individual and say, oh, look, you should all be reducing your carbon footprint. It's um, yeah. yeah, it's not us, it's you. Yeah. And that's where all of that's come from, all this sort of individual action. And actually it does, it, I mean, it, it, yeah, it just doesn't make any difference. Uh, the top one percent pollute eighty percent of the world's CO two emissions. Like right, that puts it you know, top one hundred companies are responsible for this. So, um, as much as the individual, you know, wants to try and do little changes in their lives, yeah. when you put it in perspective that that's the top one percent, yeah, we need to speak to these bigger companies, yeah. and it's them that need to make the changes. And it's also more expensive, you know, a more sustainable lifestyle is often more expensive and therefore not accessible to the majority of the population anyway. Mm. You know, thinking about us as students, 
we yeah. can't be thinking about uh, buying the more sustainable products because no. it's more expensive. We just don't have the money. Organic food, for example, yeah. is more expensive. So, and a plant-based diet is also yeah. generally more expensive. So, in terms of individual actions, I wouldn't encourage many. The one, the two that I maybe would okay. say to people are, lit- are, are eat less meat because yes. you can change, a consumer can change a business. You know, if enough people aren't eating as much meat as before, then that will slow the supply chain. Yeah. Um, and that's not saying come, become vegetarian. It's like, you know, once or twice a week have meat rather than every day or whatever. Yeah. Um, and also, I say fly less. It's difficult, especially if you want to travel a lot. If you can offset your your flights, do. But again, that's expensive. And then the third the third one, which is a big one, is um, look at who you're banking with, because okay. banks obviously invest money. That's like how they make money. And uh, lots of banks invest banks invest in fossil fuels. So uh, HSBC, um, Barclays, Barclays is the biggest they will have huge amounts of investments in fossil fuels. Right. And if you decide not to bank with them, then that's actively taking yeah. money out of fossil fuel industry. That's a really good one that you can get. Yeah. With. So you can quite easily just, like, change your bank. Yeah. Um, so that's sort of the... And it's also something... The main, the main thing to do now, at our age, I'd say, is just, like, build awareness, build an understanding, mm-hmm. and sort of have it as a habit you know when you're thinking about in your future jobs as well as thinking about oh how much money can I make you want to also be thinking about okay how much money can I make in a sustainable way that is carbon zero carbon neutral um you know you want to be when you're buying a house you know and you're thinking about heating your home you want to be you Mm. want to have sort of have as a habit in your mind to think how can I best insulate my home or how can I best heat my home by having a heat pump rather than an oil boiler or whatever? Um, So that's what I say. I think the most important thing for younger generations is just simply having that knowledge and awareness Mm. and understanding. To make better future actions. To make better future actions. Because, you know, at the moment, we don't have a huge amount of influence. We are all sort of living our own lives but then when you go on and you start having a family and you might have kids kids, you know you might have a partner you'll have a job and you might be a boss for somebody you you know you you might get into a a high position of power like Mm. you know the core root of everything is education at the end of the day (laughs) and so if you can change how people are educated then you will change the rest of the systems Thank you, Tom. That's really enlightening because I was one of those people that thinking, oh yeah, I don't eat that much for me. I must be doing something right here. I'm a student. I don't use my car. But um, thinking about the bigger image is important. Yeah, but it's also those those actions. And if if you can get sort of a positive affirmation from doing those actions, that's helpful because mm-hmm. also it's a way in. Like. Um, we have a community working group at the charity which works very grassroots and almost in it's not individual it's more about sort of collective actions things like community energy projects where people get together and like buy solar panels together as a group things like that where actually it is quite accessible it's small scale they do make an impact and also it's a way in for someone to get a better understanding and work their way into other things and so they are a good they're a good routine yeah i'm just going back to what you mentioned about the banking because i remember some climate change activists 
in Durham, I feel like there are quite a few, you know, maybe once a month they meet in the centre giving out brochures and things. And I want to say they said that Nationwide are more sustainable. Is that true? Yeah, I can't remember off the top of my head. Nationwide is definitely better than Barclays and HSBC. The best ones are things like uh, like Monzo. Lots of students oh, have Monzo. Yes. They're great. Um, so there are other banks like uh, Triodos is the like OG sort of um, morally good bank. Like it's not just uh, in terms of climate. It's like they don't invest in uh, like arms and weaponry and stuff. Um, they're sort of like a classic to go to. Uh, also co-op I think is supposed to be quite good okay. there are lots mm-hmm. out there uh, yeah thank you yeah sorry just wanted to get name them personal reasons as well sure. I was just thinking I do not want to be you know having my money kept in H- with HSBC or Barclays. HSBC or Barclays yeah and it's also uh, again when you're going on and a lot of us will probably you know be making money and want to invest that money because that's basically the only way to sort of keep up with inflation these days yeah. so when you're thinking about where you're investing money that's even more important like places like BlackRock um these big firms they have hu- they have like billions and billions and billions in fossil fuels so again that's like a key Check place that you can invest make money. a difference and your pension as well your pension fund probably invests in fossil fuels wow. so you can sort of divest from that and look at other options yeah thank you so much we'll, we'll say much about this so Talk to me about your experience this year at the event you went to in Glasgow, was it? Yeah, Glasgow, COP26. Um, it was delayed a year because of COVID. Right. So um, it was all ready before COVID. It was, um, it's five years on, basically, from Paris, from the 2015. And in 2015, they set these targets, but for five years up to COP26, it was all about just getting things ready to then start enacting these targets. So, um, and it was when what we call these nationally determined contributions, NDCs, were going to be finalised at COP26. Okay. So COP26 was hailed Huge. as this, like, big, mm. it is, you know, five years on from Paris, all the countries are coming here to commit and actually take action after this. Yeah. It was already delayed a year, so it had been hyped up loads. Yeah. You know, we didn't know it's going to be delayed, so we'd been preparing a year before for it and then it was delayed again so we had like two years of preparation for this event publicity everything yeah huge amount of um work gone into it and we sent lots of people we had like 40 delegates from our charity we brought another 40 from across the world um and i describe it in two ways like there was one half of it that was super positive uplifting enlightening and the other half, which was just very negative, very dark, uh, and generally horrific. <laughs> about um, what's happened in the past five years, I presume. Yeah, so, I'll t- yeah, maybe negatives first and end yeah. on the positive. <laughs> <laughs> the negatives were just, as I, I've talked about a bit previously, yeah. like, you just see those power dynamics. The, we went to this incredible event with uh, people from the Philippines, and it was basically just like a storytelling event and they basically just told their stories and, you know, they were all sort of crying at the end of their stories and everyone in the room was basically just sobbing at the end because it was so disheartening. Um, 
And it's just generally a very confusing space. You know, it's a horrible space to be in anyway. It's like a co- massive conference space that they've put up. There are like no windows anywhere. It's all like artificial lighting. You're in there, you know, you get there at, and this was in November. So you'd get there at maybe 7.30 a.m. It's still dark outside. You wouldn't leave until at least 8, 8 p.m., if not 9, 10. So you're in there for at least 12 hours you don't see any light of day and you're dealing with really depressing issues. So, um, yeah, and I, I find it very hard to make other people understand the feeling when you come out of it and what that's yeah. like. And, like, I... So, I mean, my friend, my housemates will always say, I always take the piss out of anyone who goes home halfway through a term because I'm like, oh, come on, just stick it out. Like, yeah. just do the term. It's not that long. But after COP... I just had to get home. I just needed to like retreat and go down to Cornwall by the so coast. All the information you've just been given yeah. in a short period of time where you've not gone outside even for a walk, just yeah. process. Yeah. Um, desperately needed that. And I think my parents were quite shocked that I came home as well. They, yeah, they were like, oh, this something's up. Yeah. If this is, is happening. Um, I, I, I'm the sort of person who needs, you know, five minutes after one person speaks to me just to. You know, <laughs> Yeah. And also when you're dealing with these massive issues as well, Mm. yeah, it must have been a tough day, realistically. Yeah. And like you, like it's a very existential issue, climate change, and you sort of end up being a bit of a nihilist, just sort of thinking like, what's the point? Especially like a lot of my evolutionary studies at uni is all about the past. You know, I did a, a module this year, which was all about past climates, and it's looking at how the earth is 4.3 billion years old and all of these things have happened in earth's history and you're like we're just a blip what's the point i might as well just live my life and have a fun time and then die that's a very nihilist point of view and there are lots of counters to that but that's sort of what you end up coming up thinking uh and it was it's this thing called burnout like we all sort of heard about it but um, and activists talk about it a lot like burning out from what you're doing because you're so passionate and you keep working and you want to achieve and obviously I just like always thought oh burnout yeah I mean like that's just feeling a bit tired and it's yeah. fine but I was definitely burnt out after COP like it was uh, I don't know it's just a very deep tiredness exhaustion and deep apathy of just like not really caring and shutting down um so a big life experience yeah oh and it definitely changed my opinion of things and also where I thought I would be best placed to like make impact and things and where I thought energy needed to go in the future it was yeah I very um, incredible experience and some parts greatly positive like there are that there were thousands of people just like me who went to have their voice heard and try and make an impact and you know there was a massive people's march it was like I don't know how many it was, you know, hundreds of thousands of people all on this march going through Glasgow. There's, like, aerial footage of huge masses of people. And, like, that's such a nice atmosphere. It's kind of like a festival. (laughs) Everyone's got, like, flags and people are, like, drumming and there's music and... So many people involved. So many people. And that, it's, yeah, it's the people that that make it um, uplifting and inspiring. And also meeting everyone I work with with this charity you know we work online for two years it'd been Covid a lot of the people I haven't met because we'd sort of brought them on within those Mm. two years and so it was just a fab week of 
getting to know people mm-hmm. and going out and having fun and yeah did you come away thinking okay I've got clear vision in my mind well obviously not clear straight away but after a while of what needs to happen yeah did you because otherwise I feel like you'd go to these events and you wouldn't feel satisfied you'd feel like yes we've talked about it that's amazing but maybe not sure where to go from here I feel like for personal satisfaction you need to yeah have these goals no, I totally... And also, you go... Any climate activist will go to those events knowing they will be disappointed at the end. You know, fossil fuels was only mentioned the first time this year and it was in a very uh, sort of fluffy way. Like, you know you're going to be disappointed with the outcome. You're not going to get any happiness from what they, the, the delegates, the countries decide. Um, but I definitely did. I think... It's, it definitely wasn't straight away. Like, it took me quite... I think even up to, like, a month ago, I was still sort of working things out. And it was actually... I was here in Durham. And I, I, it was after, like, a night out. I was really hungover, and I was lying in my bed. And I can't remember what spurred it on, but I went downstairs, and I told the girls, my housemates, that I'd had this, like, epiphany. And I was like, I know what, <laughs> what needs to be done now. And it was a bit of a... It's, a, it's slightly me accepting that, like we can't really stop climate change. We can to a certain extent, but like we've gone so far now that our climate's going to change uh, anyway regardless, over the next yeah. 100 years regardless. So like mm. um, the major issue for me that I got from COP was the humanitarian crisis that's sort of bubbling, the fact that there are going to be millions of refugees that are displaced from their home because yes. of climate change. And this is the first I've heard about this. I didn't I mean, if you, you no, no, like, no, I didn't really think about it properly until I went to COP. Like, no one really thinks about that. Um, and that's part of the, the issue. You're not really taught about that. Mm. Um, but if you think about it, it's even as simple as, like, you know, our climate changes subtly in one area, which means there's less rainfall, and then that means that crops don't grow so regularly or in a um, reliable way, and then that means that the people that rely on those crops can't have them and then they ha- the country has to import its food rather than grow its own and that's more expensive so then the cost of living rises and then people can't afford to live there like, you know as we're seeing now with the cost of living crisis it's only going to get worse <laughs> um and <laughs> Say, honestly. yeah so it was really under really actually understanding that in 50 years time you know even when we're still alive and for, for my children grandchildren um there will be this huge sort of migration of people around the world and naturally they will probably be coming to the UK and places like this that um, that are have a more reliable, stable climate that will be able to provide for its country. And at the moment, as we've seen with Syria, Afghanistan, even Ukraine to a certain extent, you know, the government's plan to send people to Rwanda is bonkers. Like, the political climate and the societal climate just isn't ready for that. No. Just, we're just very insular, it's very, we're very nationalist, we're sort of like protectionists, look after ourselves. Yeah. And so, I think, post-COP, my thinking is that we need to put the work in now to, like, really get ready for that influx of yes. people. Because and they're going to come. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> we, we need to be able to manage that, deal with that, have the systems in place. Yeah. But you know, these people can't just turn up. Um, we can't just turn them away. That's not exactly. Work. Yeah. 
Um, and, and, you know, and just trying to... Ch- ch- is even just about changing people's perceptions of that. And, you know, we've all seen, like, the whole thing about Brexit was anti-immigrant and um, everything the Conservatives are about really is anti-immigrant. Like, that's mm-hmm. what they're voted in for because they've convinced everyone that immigrants take people's jobs and livelihoods away. Yes. Um, which I don't think is the case, and I think we're far better off, you know, we're an immigrant country, blah, blah, blah. But <laughs> So yeah. that is really what I want to shift to focusing on, is, um, yeah, thinking about how we can change our societies to sort think in a more inclusive yeah. and accepting way so that we're ready for that. I think that is really important. I mean, as a linguist student, all I've been taught forever is that immigration is good and we do need it. Um, but, you know... Not everyone gets taught that. Um, I mean, I'm going to be travelling on my year abroad, um, studying in Italy, and then working in Peru. And I'm relying on people in these receiving countries to be accepting of me coming. Um, I don't know how you found the visa process so far, but I've noticed a big shift since Brexit in terms of attitude of people receiving us. Because basically, from their point of view, we've rejected them at Brexit. Um, And so now it's a lot harder to obtain a visa to work or study abroad. And, you know, that's very understandable after the decision that was made. It's frustrating. I wasn't old enough to vote then <laughs> to remain. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think you're right in terms of big things have happened and we need to now think about um, the attitudes and perceptions first to then to have the systems in place for, you know, receiving people and... Um, do you think there's things that we can do to help shift perceptions? Yeah, it's a good question. I think... I'm not entirely sure yet. I've sort of, uh, yeah, decided that this yeah. is the path I uh, want to take and I'm sort of um, still thinking about what that actually means. I think a lot of it is... It's going to be about showing people what the benefits of of immigration is. Yeah. And also, I mean, I don't even see it as like, we need to pe- show people the benefits. I just sort of think like, it's our moral duty. There are people yeah. that need us, so therefore we have to help. But I know that a lot of people don't think like that. Um, I think it's people will be able to understand it in terms of Ukraine, because they can see the impact and it's easier then to visualise, okay, yes, we need to yeah. focus on yeah visualization is definitely crucial like we've seen you know the david attenborough documentaries are a classic example Mm. blue planet 2 came out it talked about plastic pollution and suddenly governments around the world were banning various single-use plastics blah blah, and you know being able to yeah being able to actually see an issue is really important uh and that's a lot of what we've got a a new project coming out which is a schools workshop to go into schools and it's about creating more awareness and trying to show people how it's affecting the UK and like really bringing it home and making it relevant to people. Yes. That's the best way to change anyone's opinion because at the end of the day we are all self-serving. That's just who we are. (laughs) It's in our nature. Yeah, it's in our nature. So if you can show people how it will affect them, then you Mm. will inevitably then create change. So... That visualization is definitely important, and Ukraine is a classic example. Like it's yeah. close, it's closer to home mm. than Syria and Afghanistan. 
and you, we can see the drastic different effects. You know, you've, like the government won't send a, a Ukrainian man to to Rwanda, but they will send a Syrian. Yeah. What's wow. the difference between a Ukrainian and a Syrian? I mean, okay, obviously there are differences, <laughs> but in terms yes. of just basic, they're both humans. Um, you know, we need to impact that. Yeah, it's just because Ukraine is in Europe. And we sort of v- vaguely see it as one of our, group. we belong. Yeah, one of our relative countries. Yeah. But therefore, we feel we should help them over others. Um, I was just thinking: is there maybe a news page or a website or something that we can look at to, you know, keep updated with the situation? Is there anything that you read or you recommend other people to read? Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm always going to plug our charity, yes. UK Youth Climate Coalition. Um, you know, we post updates all the time, particularly around the climate negotiations. Like, if you want to sort of get a basic understanding of what's going on there and why they're important and yeah. stuff, then we do lots, lots of breakdowns around them and sort of try and make it accessible. Um, and you can find us UKYCC on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, whatever. Okay. Uh, I a massive one I love is called Earthrise Studio. They're on Instagram, and they basically do lots of infographics. It was two YouTube YouTubers, the Harrys twins, Finn and something Harrys. Oh, okay. And they were, well, they still are YouTubers, but they like started off when we yeah. were quite younger watching YouTube and stuff. And they've um, they're basically massive climate activists now, sort of influences in that sphere. And they've got this great Instagram page, which breaks down lots of different elements of climate mm. justice and it talks about how people are affected affected differently and things you could do and gives you updates on what's happening they're really great thank you for that i will definitely follow them on instagram <laughs> because i feel like i definitely need to have sort of more daily updates or just because you can get swept away in your you know individual personal lives yeah um have you found that it's been hard to sort of balance work with a charity and you know studying for a degree um i think generally it's been fine um it's very flexible how we work at the charity so it's very it's the perfect sort of thing to do when you're at uni um there was it was like maybe a month two months ago there was a period of yeah there was like three months basically when we were recruiting new people And I was basically just ended up doing it on my own because everyone else had quite low capacity. And I was getting very stressed then. Not just, that's like, it's that's not really anything to do with fighting for climate justice. It's just sort of lots of admin and emails and organising things and getting people to do things and doing like endless interviews. You know, I came back to uni the first two weeks of term. I was doing interviews every evening for like three hours. And... That was quite stressful, but now that's over. Because most students don't sort of have that obligation or duty in the evenings. You know, they consider their evenings free after they've studied your day. So it's really impressive that you've dedicated your time to that. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say it is that impressive. I think, like, loads of people are do loads of things during change time. You, Lid, you do, like, a ton of sport and, and other things involved in college life, involved in Durham life, which... I think that's the one thing I have a slight regret about is doing various other projects which aren't tied to Durham at all means that I haven't really sort of integrated into any sort of college college life, Durham life like that. Um, 
which I, I don't know, I feel like would have been nice, but yeah, at the same time, I'm quite glad that I did carry on with other things. Yeah. I think it is important to, you know, have your own hobbies and interests, and it feels like you've maybe, you know, had to put that aside for a while because you've had other things to do. Um, but it's people like the you that we do need to thank for putting your time into this because I feel like the stereotype for the generation is that we're student bums and we just get drunk every night and yeah. we're sort of brain dead. Yes. But then it's through talking to people like you and that we realise that, no, you know, the youth are getting really active and involved in this and maybe that's because it's our world, we know it's our future um, that it's going to have an impact on. Um, I want to now ask you how you're feeling about your year abroad. Do you want to tell us where you're going? Sure. So I'm going to Australia, going to Melbourne, uh, which I'm very excited about. I'm excited but also a bit apathetic. Like, I don't really feel like I'm going, you know? Yeah. It's sort of like it's this... It hasn't quite hit me that I will be getting on that plane. And So when are you leaving for Melbourne? Uh, I am leaving on the 11th of July. See, that's actually not that far away. No. It's less than a month away. Yeah, it is. It's less than a month. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do you think maybe when you leave Durham, it will be out of sync more and you'll start the pack- packing? I think it's packing and planning again. Packing <laughs> and planning process a bit more. Yeah, I think once I go home, um, it'll become a bit more real. I think, it, yeah, sort of saying goodbye to people in Durham as well mm. and like... Um, not seeing them for a year and that will probably hit once I leave Uh, but to be honest it probably won't hit till I'm on the plane (laughs) and I'm you know so is it a direct flight I imagine there's probably a stop there is a stopover Kuala Lumpur Uh, but it's only it's like a three hour transfer so I probably won't have a chance to actually leave the airport and explore but yeah Um, I can't remember how long it's taken me it's like 28 hours I think wow that is a big journey yeah um, and this is one of the scenarios where you have to get on a flight. You have to. Like, you can't yes, exactly. travel any other way to get there. It would be, I mean, you know, Greta famously um, took a boat across the Atlantic to go yes. to New York. But, you know, this is going to Australia. I have to be there. Uh, I have offset my flights. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that is thanks to the Bank of Dads rather than me. I'm in the fortunate position that I've been able to do that. Yeah. But yeah, it's inevitable. And, the, and aviation, this is one note, the aviation is the one thing that is going to take a long time to change. Yeah. There are alternative fuels, like um, they're looking into hydrogen and stuff, but the technology is like way off. Okay. So flying is sort of, it's the one thing that is going to take a very long time to change. But actually other things like agriculture, the way we eat, the way we get things, produce far more CO2 emissions than planes anyway. So I imagine the focus more on electric cars. Yeah, like, there are some things that we won't be able to change just because yeah. it is the way it is. But that shouldn't stop people having opportunities. I'm sure you're going to be getting involved in lots of things in Melbourne. Have you got any idea yet what you're going to be doing there? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm studying for a year, so I'll be doing that. <laughs> Hopefully they do a lot more like marine biology, which I haven't had a chance to do in Durham. So I'm excited to do a bit of that. Uh, I love scuba diving, so hopefully hopefully doing a bit of that. Um, and also, I would be keen... I'm sort of putting what I do with the UK charity on a bit of a hiatus, yeah. sort of passed over a lot of my roles, and I'll probably... Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to having it a year, like, mm. break, to do something 
different, think about something different, focus on other things in my life. Um, but I'd also be keen to to get to know the Australian situation. Yeah, um, definitely. You know, it's a different country, different policies, different views on things. So, yeah, I definitely want to be involved in something over there. I'm just not sure what. Yes. Well, I mean, you've got time now. Um, yes. Just about to think about that. I'm sure things will arise when you're there. I feel like it's going to be a flexible time where things will arise and then you'll take them. It's not like you can know what everything that's going on there before. Yeah, there. exactly. Um, one thing that I wanted to talk to you about is maybe um, shopping sustainably. Um, I feel like this has become a big thing for the youth, going to charity shops, buying secondhand. Um, would you push that as well instead of, you know, buying a new outfit for every new occasion? Would you stress more sustainable shopping for the youth as well? Yes. Yes, I would. Um I think charity shops is a, a good example, a very good example in that thrift shopping because it's affordable, mm-hmm. affordable alternative. Because um, you've basically, if you don't want to buy fast fashion, like well, the typical example is Primark, but even Pull&Bear, H and M, Bershka, the sort of standard yeah. student places are all fast fashion. The alternatives are either you buy the top designer brands who are actually using sustainable materials, yeah. but it's like a hundred pounds for a t shirt. Which yeah. you got bored, or it's second hand. Um, so yes, I would say go towards second hand if you can. But mainly, you're absolutely right. I think it's ridiculous that we buy a new outfit for every <laughs> event. I think that's really stupid, especially in Durham, where you have yeah. like you know four balls, f- five formals, whatever. Like <laughs> yeah, you just come on. That's not necessary. Um, and you can, you know, the girls in my house, they all, like, swap dresses all the time. Yeah. And, like, you know, that that's a way of not always wearing the same thing. I get, you know, I still buy clothes yes. from places. But it's it's about wearing them for longer than just a day. Yeah. And, you know, being reasonable about it. Mm. You know, all of it's a whole, all of it's about overconsumption. And, like, you know, we've just got to be a bit better at not wasting things. Yes. Um, I think other sites like Vincent and Depop are a good place to go if you do need to find a yeah. new outfit, say, for an occasion, because um, they've already been worn, so they're getting that second life. Um, there's an app that I want to recommend called Good On You, I think. I think it's called Good On You, <laughs> um, where they sort of rate out of five stars how sustainable clothing brands are. Um, I haven't looked too in detail about how reliable this is, how they collect their information. Um, but I was very shocked by what I saw because um, I've shopped in most of the places that are rated, you know, one, two stars, not sustainable. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important that we recognise which brands aren't sustainable now so that we can you know, not shop there again or advise people not to shop there. Yeah, but again, you don't need to put the onus all on you. You know, you don't need to feel bad just because... You are shopping there. It's inevitable that we have to buy clothes. And if you can't afford something else, then you are going to go there. And it's sort of... I know I ask a lot of people, like, whose responsibility do you think it is to tackle climate change? Yeah. Uh, And varies answer, but most of the time people say governments. But, like, there is also an onus on that fashion brand to Mm. make sure that they are operating in a sustainable way. Yeah. Um... So the onus isn't all on you. 
I think it is important that some of us get involved in more collective ways now then and I think would you still you know say to people join your charity basically Yes, I mean, uh, we're not recruiting at the moment. We recruit in spring every year, but (laughs) definitely. uh, I mean, what's great about our charity is like a a cross between uh, a a climate lobbying and activist space, but also like a youth development Mm -hmm. charity. It's all about like getting new skills as well. And, you know, when you come out of uni, you're all trying to get a job and every job is like, oh, but we need you to have experience. But then how do you get experience if everyone wants experience? So. It's a great way to get that. Um, but even, you know, outside of what my charity specifically, there are loads of other organisations. Um, like Green New Deal Rising is a massive one. Stop Cambo. Obviously, there's XR if you want to go a bit more sort of radical. Um, loads of others that I probably don't even know of that yeah. are doing amazing work. You can get loads of experience to then go on and go off to do other things. I would definitely encourage you. It's also the one thing I get from it is like that sense of community of like everyone yes. with a shared purpose, sort of no, shared... there's other people recognizing yeah. as well as you. Um, that's um, something really big that you get out of it. So thank you. I think the main thing to take away from this is that I want to now follow your charity <laughs> Facebook uh, and Instagram and TikTok. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you, Leah. It's been lovely to have a chat. <laughs> Um, and I hope everyone else enjoys the rest of their morning or evening, wherever you're up to. And I hope that you just take one thing away from this conversation that has really enlightened me, to be honest. So thank you, Tom. Thanks, Leah. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.